You better listen, my brother, cause if you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land, and they're willing to we all come to understand. None of us are free, none of us are free. Welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network's Wednesday live stream. My name is Evan Papp, and I'm the executive producer of Empathy Media Lab. We focus on labor, political economy, art, and culture. And my co-host tonight is Patrick Dixon. Patrick, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Pleased to be joining you, Evan, from about half an inch of snow in Arlington, Virginia. I'm one of the producers of the Labor History Today podcast, and I'm excited about our lineup of guests this evening. Our first guest is Kayla Blotto, who is the president of the nonprofit's Professional Employees Union, and she's going to be discussing why white-collar workers need unions and unionization efforts for nonprofit workers. Kayla, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, it's a very important topic, especially um, in, around Washington, D.C. There's so many nonprofit folks. My background is in nonprofit so could you begin talking a little bit about what is the Nonprofit Professional Employees Union? And since you're the president, uh, what is some of the work that you're doing right now? Yeah, so the Nonprofit Professional Employees Union is a local of IFPTE, the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. Um, and we represent over 30 different nonprofits across the country. Uh, we represent workers at think tanks and advocacy groups. Um, I personally work at the Economic Policy Institute as my full-time job. I'm the director of media relations there. And EPI was actually the first unit to organize with NPEU way back in 1998. And um, since then, we've grown to representing over 30 different units across the country. Um, we represent workers at places like Center for American Progress, Washington Center for Equitable Growth, um, Community Change. Um, and we just announced a new one uh, yesterday, the Animal Legal Defense Fund. So we're growing. We have a ton of nonprofit workers that want to be part of a union, and um, we're helping them achieve a more equitable workplace. Well, we will talk about that victory, and congratulations on that. Um, a lot of people think about nonprofits as being a bunch of do-gooders. And so the first question for someone completely outside of this sector and with little understanding about unions, why are these do-gooders, why do they need a union? Well, nonprofits um, are unfortunately part of this capitalistic exploitative economy that we're all a part of. Um, and even though a lot of them have really great missions, um, a lot of times they fall short in expressing those, those pro-labor progressive worker values in their, to their own staff. Um, and, you know, especially um, we know from data that, you know, people are not, you know, having an advanced degree and being in a white collar organization, um, people are not immune from things like discrimination. And it actually, you know, pay increases actually get worse with the more education that you have. 
Um, and so having a union is really important to basically making sure that um, our voice is heard um, and that there are mechanisms in place for dealing with um, issues that arise and creating a more equitable and democratic workplace. I think uh, from my experience in nonprofits, some of the people on the top can make upwards of 100 to 200, 250, or even more than that, $1,000. Yeah, but per, per year, and then they could be paying associates $30,000 a year. And, uh, and it's all coming into from the same pool of cash that's being raised. Um, could you talk a little bit about this article you wrote uh, about a year ago in these times on the answer to burnout at work? Isn't this self-care? It's about unionizing. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're really seeing that right now during the pandemic, especially we've seen a surge in workers wanting to organize. I mean, you know, we're all burnt out. We've all been on a million Zoom calls um, working from home. And, and, you know, a lot of us, we're lucky, you know, we get to work from home and, um, you know, but a lot of people have childcare obligations or family responsibilities. Um, but having a union really does create a safeguard and, and some certainty. Um, and so, you know, it's, and even without, you know, even without the pandemic, there's so many toxic things in nonprofit culture that, you know, you hear from management maybe to just, you know, relax or, you know, there's also all sort of people who will want to sell you candles and massages and all that stuff. Uh, but that isn't really going to create systemic change and create more power for the workers in order to actually change the issues that are really affecting them. And so we definitely recommend forming a union. Um, that's not to say self-care isn't important. Obviously, it's all super important taking care of your mental and physical health. But, um, you know, forming a union is really one way to create that systemic change and rebalance the power at your workplace so that you can actually address some of these issues that are making it such a stressful environment. The exploitative nature of this, where you have some of these junior um, associates workers that may not have tenure or just may not be in the management, they believe in the mission and it's exploitative in the sense that they are working because they believe in the mission and they are willing to work more than those 40 hours and oftentimes not be compensated. Uh, but that's where you have some of the people on top actually taking um, more than the, and, and not really sharing the, the full pool. Um, yeah. What was your background in nonprofits be, before you went to the, your current position? Yeah, so um, I've worked in non-union nonprofits as well as union nonprofits. And what you said about um, particularly young people and other marginalized and vulnerable people um, basically taking on additional work and then not being compensated for it um, that's definitely unique to the nonprofit culture. I think that um, we're all giving so much of ourselves for the mission of the organization. And to be clear, you know, the reason that we all work at nonprofits is because we support the mission of the organization. There's so many messed up things in the world. And if you can, you know, be part of the solution in your day job um, and, and, you know, have that be a core part of your work, then that's amazing. But, you know, we can't be replicating these same problematic um, exploitative things that we see in other private sector jobs at our nonprofits at the same time we're you know publicly preaching against income inequality and um, racial inequality and that sort of thing and so um, yeah that's 
that's definitely, you know, one of the things is, is the pay inequality that you see in this kind of like guilt tripping people to sacrifice more of themselves for the sake of the mission. And, and that's definitely, you know, maybe that's not something you'd see in a, in a more traditional union contract, but there are ways that we can um, try to change the, the nature and the, and the culture of the organization um, through organizing and through a contract. And a lot of the people coming out of college are having very high debt levels and yet they're still making sometimes very junior salaries and with the hope that they're doing something right and they can move into a career in, in this field. And before opening up uh, with Patrick, and uh, I do want to ask you a little bit, um, a lot of nonprofits are oftentimes you have a very um, racially unequal distribution of power from my experience where you have a lot of white people who are generally in management and some most of the minorities can oftentimes um, fall into more operational roles and, and less decision-making roles. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that, um, that type of work that you may be doing with, with your, your union and, and with the NPEU? Yeah, um, racial equity and is, is a huge issue in the nonprofit space. I mean, white supremacy culture infiltrates almost every aspect of nonprofits and honestly every single you every single nonprofit that we hear from that's one of their main issues um and and i think you know there are a lot of ways in which that we've tried to focus and solve this but um you know pay equity is a huge issue making sure that people are being paid equally for the same work um creating uh pathways to promotion and professional development um giving work creating more equitable uh, hiring processes and making sure that once people are hired, that they feel supported um, and that they have professional development and, and ways to grow. Um, these are all, you know, ways in which I think a union can really, can really add some teeth to it. I mean, we've, we have a lot of organizations that, you know, they will hear from, from uh, members, they'll come to us and say, you know, our, our manager tried to do this racial equity committee and, and, you know, we had all these great ideas, but they were never, ever implemented and there's nothing to actually hold them to it. Well, that's where, when you have a union and you have a legally binding contract that says management has to pay people this amount for diversity, equity, inclusion training, or they have to have X number of trainings a year, that sort of thing. Um, if they're not sticking to that, you know, we're going to, we're going to grieve that and we're going to make it management's problem that they're not sticking to it. So um, I think having, you know, having a union is a really crucial tool in shifting that culture. Yeah, Patrick, please. Thank you. Pleased to talk to you, Kayla. Uh, I'm from the History Podcast, so I guess it's predictable that I'll frame this question in this way, but people in this country and many others put their bodies on the line for decades to fight for first a 10-hour day and then an eight-hour day. And part of the argument that they made was that they could be both safer on their jobs and more productive by working for sort of limited stretches of time. And yet, uh, at least from what I've read, uh, I've heard many stories about people being called at all hours, people being available all the time. And, uh, and while those of us who work from home are fortunate in that there's a certain safety to that, uh, home is work, is home is work, is home is work, it seems. Um, is there a union difference as far as these uh, 
uh, these sort of distinctions or the, the, these, the, these sort of collapsed barriers between uh, the, you know, professional, the professional life and the private realm? Yeah, that's definitely an issue, particularly now during the pandemic and also when a lot of our other workers are working from home. But um, yeah, you know, we can set up structures and boundaries in, con in the contract. You can say that there are core work hours and email can only be answered during those core hours, um, you know, unless it's an emergency, but then, you know, not everything can be an emergency. Um, and that, you know, right now working from home, we're getting stipends for a lot of our workers um, to use for internet and cell phone um, bills, as well as um, some of our units have been able to get them for mental health resources so um, that they can deal with the stress of the pandemic and working from home. Um, and, and then also just, you know, having kind of a, a labor management committee that can deal with this stuff and, and it might be outside of the contract, but if it's, you know, a man, one particular manager is an issue and they're emailing their employees at all hours of the night, um, you know, the labor management committee can basically, you know, raise it and say, this manager is causing a huge morale issue with their employees. Like we need to address this. Um, and I think, you know, in the spirit of a, pro-worker organization like this, we wouldn't be wearing our employees out, you know, at all hours of the night. So I think there are a variety of tools that we use to address that. And that's only going to become a bigger problem, I think, um, in the, in the, you know, general workforce um, in the next few years. And first, I want to apologize, Mia Culpa. It's Caleb Blado. Sorry about that. I should have... Uh... You know, Rhymes with Play-Doh. Tell everyone that. <laughs> my, my mistake. Uh, but to get back onto the topic, uh, the focus on organizing during the pandemic. How do you do this over Zoom? How how is this going? Yes. Um, well, you know, we're on Zoom right now. Um, it's everyone is on Zoom all the time. I mean, a lot of people have uh, family obligations, but those who are able to get away, um, you know, it's been kind of just a lot of meetings and, and talking to people about, um, I think working from home is one thing about, we just talked about that, what the environment is like, but then when we go back, I mean, we want to, you know, we have, when you have a union, management has a legal obligation to bargain with you over the work environment that you're going to be in. And we want to make sure it's a safe work environment and that people who rely on public transportation are not exposed and that people who have childcare issues will be taken care of. And so um, I think that this is kind of creating a moment that, you know, instead of just hunkering down and, and focusing on, you know, getting making it through the next year, I think that this is a real organizing moment um, for workers because they want to have a voice when they come back because the consequences can be huge if they come back in an, in an unsafe environment. Could you talk a little bit about the latest victory? Yeah, so we just went public yesterday with the Animal Legal Defense Fund. We're really excited to have them. Um, they're the first animal rights organization that I know of that it has actually formed a union. Um, so we're really excited to have them. Um, they um, are a great unit. They're all over the country. Um, and they asked management for voluntary recognition yesterday. And we are hoping, we still haven't heard anything from management yet, but we are hoping that they do the right thing and recognize their workers and don't make them go to the Trump NLRB for a union election. 
Yeah, could you talk a little bit about that process? Maybe there's someone who's going to hear this or and is interested in, you know, taking the steps to forming a union. What what is that process? Yeah. So first, you want to um, talk to your coworkers. So maybe talk to a small group of coworkers who you think might be on the same page as you. That they have had some of the same issues, and that they that you all think that forming a union would really help them. Um, and then. Basically, you want to do your research and find a union that you think could help you organize. And, um, you know, our union, the Nonprofit Professional Employees Union is one, but there are other, there are many other unions that are organizing nonprofits right now. Um, reach out to them, see, um, you know, connect with an organizer. But basically the process is that you're going to be talking to your coworkers and um, talking to them about the issues that they're having and how those could be solved through a union. Um, and then you're going to have people sign union cards, which basically means that the union is going to represent them legally um, through a contract. And then um, you will, uh, if you think that your management is, you know, a progressive environment and they are pro worker, um, we always want to ask them to recognize our union first, give them the chance to do the right thing. They can, you know, with a stroke of a pen, they can recognize your union. Um, for those that you know choose to, they're they're more anti-union and they're gonna make you jump through some hoops. Um, you know, we file union elections. Basically, that means that you um, go through the National Labor Relations Board, uh, and then they will um, mail you a ballot, and then you will vote yes for your union. And if you have a majority of cards, then you will have a union basically two ways of getting the same thing. The election is a little bit more work, but um, they will both get you the union if, if you've done enough organizing on the back end. And then that's just the beginning because you still need to get a contract that yeah. uh, everyone can agree on and you need to be willing to walk, which um, can be very challenging when people are financially distressed. Mm -hmm. um, so before I uh, go to Patrick again, um, Chris Garlock shared this quote from uh, Action Squared President Brian Young. I'll just say for people who are thinking about starting a union at their place of work, but are a little nervous to try, the more nervous you are about the reaction of your organization, the more you probably need a union. Uh, could you just respond to that? Yeah, I mean, he's right on. The the, there's there's all these paradoxes in you know in all of this and people think you know maybe if we you know maybe if we ask really nicely management will um, grant us a union and if we you know if we don't offend them and all these sorts of things and and you know at the end of the day it's like if you had good management or if you had management that was willing to share power in the first place you probably wouldn't be in this situation um, and so the more freaked out you are about being in a union, the, the point of a union is to be stronger than the individual. The point of the union is to make sure that bad things don't happen to you, or if they do, then management is held accountable for them. Um, and so I would just urge any, anyone who's listening who thinks, you know, I, I, I'm interested in union, but I'm a little scared about the process, you know, talk to a union organizer. If you, they'll, they will help you through it. They will help you um, come up with strategies to make sure that you're as strong as possible and that you can get a union um, as quickly and painlessly as, as possible um, and basically be on your path 
to getting a strong union contract and creating that change that you want. Great. And we have time for a couple more questions. Uh, Patrick, uh, do you have any questions? Many, uh, many white collar workers uh, live on work provided computers and uh, use work provided phones. And uh, as you've said, even some of the seemingly most uh, progressive nonprofits don't always seem to be quite as progressive as, uh, as the slogan. Um, does this make it complicated for workers coming forward or for your organizers? Yes, I would advise you to not use any work. Don't use your work computers. Don't use your work phones. Don't organize on work time. Um, if you're talking to your coworkers, don't use your work Slack or Teams or work email. You wanna get everyone's private information. Um, you wanna definitely create a private signal group or WhatsApp group with everyone. Um, the, you know, your employer has access to your emails, to um, everything you're doing on your work, uh, your work technology. So you just wanna make sure that you're doing it on private uh, after work or on lunch breaks um, and on your own devices, just to make sure that in case management would retaliate against you which we all know is illegal, but is hard to enforce, particularly under this administration. Um, you just want to be as safe as possible. So something that I've thought a lot about being in, I was inside the government, uh, international development, and a lot of international development got um, hollowed out in the 1990s. And a lot of the contracting, then they created an entire contracting body to help implement. And a lot of it are not for-profit uh, non-government organizations to carry out the functions of these government, uh, what the government used to do in, in foreign policy and international development. Meanwhile, a lot of the workers in the nonprofits at the lower levels don't have the union, don't have the protection, don't get the same pay as federal employees, don't get the same health care, the pension, all that other stuff. But the people on top of the nonprofits are getting quarter million dollars a year and things like that. Um, I guess going into 2021 with a new administration, and obviously a lot of challenges with nonprofits and foundation funding. Um, what, what is your, I guess, what's your hope and what are some of the opportunities that we can keep ensuring that we can unionize this entire sector that is oftentimes doing services for the government? Yeah, well, I would first of all urge the government to not keep outsourcing jobs that should be, you know, done by the government into the nonprofit industrial complex. Um, I think that, you know, uh, and then the jobs that are created in the nonprofit space, make sure that those are good jobs and that people are being paid equitably for them. You know, no one should be living, living in poverty or have to take on more than one job in order to make it in DC. Um, and so we wanna make sure that, you know, those, those uh, places can be easily unionized and that management doesn't fight those unions um, and that they also adopt, you know, some of the, maybe good pay structures and that sort of thing that um, that the government already has in place. How, how can people learn more about your this union and uh, just going forward? Sure, they can find us um, online. Our website is npeu.org and you can find us on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter at Nonprofit Union and Instagram as well. And you can also find us on Facebook at the Nonprofit Professional Employees Union. Please reach out if you have any questions. Um, we can talk to you or we can connect you with one of our other friends at another union who might be able to help you.
better listen, my brother, 'cause if you do, you can hear there are voices still calling from across the years, and they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land, and they will until we all come to understand. None of us are free. None of us are.